0: Children and young people, some of you in, in school, you've studying church history and perhaps you've heard, heard of a gentleman by the name of Jerome of Prague, Jerome of Prague. Now he lived from 1379 to 1416. He was a friend of another gentleman by the name of John Huss, perhaps you've, you've heard of him. Now these guys had a had a kind of title that was given to them afterwards. They lived before the Reformation, but they already had some Reformation ideas and they were called forerunners of the Reformation. They believed that the Bible had greater authority than the church leaders. They didn't believe in the Roman Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation. That's their views of the Lord's Supper. And they were concerned with the corruption and the sinfulness of the Roman Catholic Church. Well, the church in those days didn't like that. So they arrested John Huss and they convicted him and burned him at the stake for his views. And around the same time, Jerome of Prague himself was arrested. And he was threatened with the same. And he spent about a year in jail in miserable conditions. In miserable conditions. And at one point, they came to him and asked him if he still believed these things. And he said, I don't. He recanted Of his beliefs. His belief that the Bible had greater authority than the church. His beliefs that were contrary to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. His more Reformation type beliefs. He recanted of these. Now imagine as he's sitting in his jail cell. What's going through his mind? Imagine what he's thinking. Here he is. He's just went back On his beliefs. He has just gone against what scripture says. I wonder what he's thinking. Is he perhaps thinking. Is it too late for me? Have I fallen away from the faith? Has God's favor and love. Run out for him? Thankfully. He didn't remain this way for long. He decided it was better to be burnt at the stake than to continue on denying truth. He went back. He recanted of his recantation. And yes, he too, like his friend John Huss, was burned at the stake. But this brings to mind the question. The question, is it possible, is it possible for Christians to separate themselves from Christ's love? Is it possible for true believers to walk away from the faith? For Christ's love for them to run out? Well, Paul addresses this in our text. Paul asks this question to the Roman church here in verse 35. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation... Or distress or persecution? Or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And he answers this question in verse 37 and says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Paul tells the Romans. And Paul tells us that nothing can separate them or us from the love of Christ. Now how can Paul so confidently convey this message to them? How is it possible for Paul to be so convinced that none of these Roman Christians, none of these Roman believers will become separate from the love of Christ? That each of them will persevere. That each of them will be a conqueror through Christ. Well, Paul knew his Bible. Paul knew his Old Testament. He knew texts like Isaiah 49, verse 15. Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget. Yet will I not forget thee. Paul's eyes were open to the reality of this text. He came to see who God really was. Once he himself was pulled from the prison of works righteousness and set free by the gospel. Paul could testify to the truth of this text because of his own personal experience. He experienced God's great love for him. One who persecuted and killed Christians he experienced God's faithfulness to him as he went through trials, as he himself was persecuted, as he was stoned and mocked and imprisoned. And as Christ led Paul through all of these trials, Paul could only testify and only proclaim the faithful love of his Savior And this is why Paul can cry out in the verses we're going to be looking at tonight. Verses 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is convinced That nothing can separate him or any other Christian from the love of God. And he provides a list for us here tonight. A list that is inclusive of all things in creation. And how none of these things can separate him or any other believer from the love of Christ. And in our message this evening... We're going to be looking at these different things. We're going to be looking at how death and life cannot separate us from God's love. We'll be looking at how angels or demons cannot separate us from God's love. How even time and space itself cannot separate us from the love of God. Paul begins by proclaiming that death will not separate us from the love of God. Well, if there's one thing that causes separation, if there's one thing that causes division in our lives, it's death. This causes the most permanent division in our lives. It does separate. It cuts us off from what we know and it takes all of us from our, to our eternal home. It cuts us off from friends and family, it cuts us off from everything we know and love, it cuts us off from our possessions, it cuts us off from all our earthly hopes, and all of our dreams are left behind when we die. Most people fear death because it's a big unknown. Some think it'll be the end, that there's nothing afterwards. Some think they will cease to exist and this life is is all there is. Some think they'll go to some sort of heaven because they've led a pretty good life. They've done some good things. Their good things outweigh their bad things. But most people are terrified of death. Think of what we've gone through in the last couple of years. The fear that COVID-19 has caused to rise up in our society. People are terrified of death. In fact, it's a taboo topic. It's not something you casually have a conversation about. Have you ever started a casual conversation with a stranger about death? It's so troubling that most people refuse to even talk about it. To be separated from all they know and love and face an unknown eternal future is terrifying. Everything that is comfortable, everything that brings us security will be left behind when we, or they, step into eternity. For most, it's a big unknown. They don't know what will happen to them. Some, console themselves with a faint notion that everything will be okay. That somehow they're going to end up in heaven. That their good deeds will outweigh their bad. But the truth is that if they, or we, do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, we should be terrified of death. The truth is, if we are not born again, existence in eternity will be more terrible than we can imagine. We will not go to a better place. There's no middle road like the Roman Catholics believe. There's no purgatory. But if we do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be in hell under the wrath of God. Forever. But for Christians, but for believers, this awful thing that terrifies the world is the last enemy. Death is the last hurdle to overcome. It is an entering from the known, what we know in this world, to the little known sure most of you are familiar with Pilgrim's Progress. And we know what happens when Christian comes to the river of death. He's terrified of it. And he enters into that river and he thinks he's drowning. It's, it's a battle. It's a struggle for him. But Little does he know the river is shallow and he merely has to put down his feet and he can get through this last struggle. He can get through this last enemy. And it is true that death is not natural. We're not created to die. It's a result of the fall. And even for the Christian, death does cause separation. It will separate us from loved ones. It will separate us from our possessions. It will separate us from our comforts. But there's one thing that death will not separate us from. Death will not separate us from the most precious thing in our lives. It will not separate us from our dear Lord itself. It will not separate us from the love of our God. But it will bring us to be with Him. Death may appear as a threat to us. The Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, that Christ has eliminated this threat. He has conquered it. And this no longer serves as a means of judgment to the Christian. It is not the way to eternal damnation for us, but it is the way to eternal glory and joy. The way into the physical presence of our dear Savior. It has no bite. It has no sting. On one side we have Romans 7 and sin, but on the other side we have perfect holiness. On one side we have a cloudy glass, but on the other side is perfect, clear vision. Therefore, for the Christian, death ought not to be so frightening. We ought not to be paralyzed with fear. Because Christ has conquered death for all of his people. It is something that each of us will face. There's no escaping it. But the Lord's message to you, dear child of God, is that you do not need to fear it. Satan makes this out to be your terrible enemy. But do not fear for God will guide you through this or over this final hurdle. He will guide you across this final river. He will take you through this final battle. He will fight for you. And he will gain you the victory. His love has been with each saint throughout history. He has helped countless numbers of believers before to pass through death into life that same love that stayed with abraham that was with joshua that was with david that was with isaiah peter and john as they crossed into eternity will be with you christ with his angels eagerly awaits you in glory. So therefore, let's look forward to this day, being thankful for our lives here, enjoying and rejoicing in God's goodness to us here. Enjoying the good gifts He has given us. But let's be eager for faith to be sight, for our salvation to be complete. John Calvin speaks to this, he says, Surely it is no wonder if the natural awareness in us bristles with dread at the mention of our dissolution. But it is wholly unbearable that there is not in Christian hearts any light of piety to overcome and suppress that fear, whatever it is, by greater consolation. He says in a a simpler manner, he says, Let us, however, consider this settled, that no one has made progress in the school of Christ. Who does not joyfully await the day of death and final resurrection. How is this possible? How is this possible for believers to look forward to the day when faith will be sight? To look forward to the day when they will be with their Savior? How is it possible that death is not our destruction? This is possible only because of what Christ did. Only because Christ himself experienced death. By, because Christ himself experienced the wrath of God. He bore the wrath of God so that we do not need to. He conquered death. He had victory over death for us. So that we can joyfully await the day of death. And final resurrection. Resurrection. But just as death cannot separate us from the love of God, neither can life itself. Everything in life, nothing of it can come between us and the love of our Savior. All the cares and troubles of this life cannot, become, cannot come between a Christian and his faithful Savior. Look at what Paul says in verse 35. He asks the question, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nothing will. These things may trouble us. These things may afflict us. Even bringing us to the point of despair or death itself. But one thing is sure, that Christ will never forsake His people. For all of us, all the cares and troubles of this life cannot come between us and our Savior. And we will persevere. Not because we are faithful. Not because we are able to. But because of His faithfulness. He will give you grace to persevere. He will give you grace to trust Him and to go forward in your journey. As you fight the fight, as you run the race, He promises to be with you. This faithfulness is evident from God's Word. As we look throughout His Word, as we look throughout history, we see that God has always been faithful to His people. There's no case of him ever abandoning one of his children. There's no case of the evil one conquering one of his people. But he has always loved them, he has always delivered them, he is always faithful. We are characterized by broken promises, we fail. We say one thing and we do another. We fail to back up our words with actions. But this is not true of our Lord. He is always true to His Word. And this is the unshakable foundation on which we can trust. We can trust in the Lord and on His Word. He promised a rebellious people deliverance from sin. And He has come through. He has provided that deliverance through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has delivered on His promise. And He has set His people free. And this is not something that He did half-heartedly. This is not something that He did begrudgingly. But He purposely and intentionally was born into this world. He suffered and died on the cross so that you could be saved. He faithfully fulfilled every single prophecy. Every jot and tittle of the law was fulfilled and kept by Him. He was, and today He is perfect in keeping His promises. As He has been faithful and perfect in keeping them, so He will be faithful and perfect in preserving you in this life. In the worst of your circumstances, in the worst of your suffering and difficulties and trials that you are going through, The Lord will not abandon you, dear child of God. Though you, like Joel, may feel abandoned by God, I urge you to look to Him, to look to His promises. And even though you might not feel it, to know that what the Lord is saying is true, that He is there, that He will help you that He will preserve you. He will preserve you as He did His people in the Bible. He will walk beside you as you run the race for the crown of life. As you take up your cross and offer your lives as living sacrifices to Him, He will guide you and He will keep you. When you are distressed or go through tribulation or persecution or famine... Or financial difficulties. Or family troubles. Or poor health. He promises that he will sustain you. Life brings all of us trials and tribulations. For some of us, for some of you, these trials may seem more than you can bear. It may seem that your God has abandoned you. You may even begin to question His existence or doubt if He really is who He says He is. Our emotions, our feelings, our perspectives can change and are often wrong. But the Lord doesn't change. His word is always true. What he says is always true. And he will always keep his word. He will never stop loving you. He will never stop guiding you. We lose sight of what's important. We get bogged down in our daily circumstances. And we lose sight of the end. But the Lord doesn't. He knows where we are, what we're going through. But He doesn't lose sight of the end. He knows exactly what we need to prepare us for our true home. We lose sight of this goal. We lose sight of the end of the race. But He does not. He urges us on and is with us every step of the way. He's training you. He's keeping you near His side. So that we do not fall. And so that we finish the race. Am I being presumptuous about God's care for His people here? I think if we take a good look at ourselves, we are quickly discouraged. Discouraged by our sins. Discouraged by our lack of faithfulness. Our refusal to to fully believe God and His Word. How can this be true for me when I'm such a sinner that the Lord will preserve me? Well, our sins, our faithfulness, our lack of our refusal to embrace the gospel doesn't make the gospel any less true. These do not make the preserving grace of God to be ineffective to the saints. You know, if it were up to us, we would add conditions to this. Okay, the saints, the saints that persevere are the ones who who do the right things. They're the faithful saints. They're the saints who are perfect, who do everything right, who, those are the ones that persevere. We would add conditions to it. We would want to somehow make ourselves worthy of God's love, worthy of God's love and care. But this isn't the gospel. The reality is, is that God has freely chosen you, sinner. He has freely chosen to love you and to care for you. This is what the Bible says. This is what the gospel is, that the Lord chose you, sinner, worthy of death and damnation. He chose you and He suffered and died on the cross. He lived a perfect life for you. And in spite of your sin, sins that need to be repented of, He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will sanctify you and shape you and mold you through trials, through death, through life, to make you more and more like Him. And He will take you to to glory to be with Him. Paul could conclude here. This is convincing enough. He said enough. He has settled the case here with life and death that the love of Christ will never leave His people. But he goes on to other things. He's argued that the things of the natural realm, death and life, cannot separate us from Christ's love. But now he moves to things of the spiritual realm. To speak about angels and demons and how they cannot separate us from Christ either. Angels, rulers and powers, and, as stated in our text, actually refers to both angels and demons. And Paul says here that angels and demons are not able to separate his people from the love of Christ. I don't think angels would ever attempt to do this. But Paul is making a hypothetical point here. Angels, powerful beings. Beings who have defeated armies. Who have brought plagues. Who have been God's powerful ministers. If they were able to if they wanted to, could not and cannot separate the believer from Christ's love. The fallen angels, on the other hand, the demons, the devils, this is something that they consistently try and do. They are always trying to separate Christians from the preserving grace of God. But no, they will not succeed. They cannot and will not separate you from the love of Christ. They will do all they can to make us doubt. They will do all they can to make us despair, to even despair of our own salvation. And they've been honing their craft for thousands of years and they know what they are doing. They sought to make Job despair and curse God, but God sustained him. They sought to have Peter, but Jesus prayed for him and sustained him. Devils are tempting us to doubt God, to doubt his word, to turn away from the Lord. And it's even possible, we know, for them to bring afflictions or temptations upon us so that we would question God and His Word. And sometimes it seems that maybe they are succeeding. But the truth is, if you are resting on Christ for your salvation, you will not be separated from... From his love. They will not succeed in separating you from his love. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3, but the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. He will keep you safe from the wiles of the devil. There may be some battles that he will win, but he will not win the war. As we move from angels and demons, Paul now refers to time and space, not being able to separate us from the love of God. He says here, his words are, nor things present, nor things to come. He's referring to time. Now you think about the force of time. Time is an unstoppable thing. We can't slow it down. We can't speed it up. It plods forward and it reaps its effects upon all of us. As we look at time, it brings good things into our lives. It brings bad things into our lives. It brings new relationships, new opportunities, new discoveries. It also brings us disappointment and sorrow and lament. Time sees us age. Though many have tried, not one has been able to reverse this process We try and slow down time. We try to retain our youth, but it's a useless battle. This is an unstoppable force. We can't manipulate time. We can't go back in time to change all the mistakes and embarrassing moments that have occurred. We can't go back and take back the things we've said or the things we've done. Yet this unstoppable force, whose absence we can't comprehend, we can't imagine a world without time, is a mere creation of God. Though it is an absolute force in our lives and cannot in any way be manipulated by us, yet it does stand in subjection to our Creator and it cannot interfere with His love for us. It can't increase or diminish this love, for this love is absolute, complete, and this love is eternal. This love existed before the creation of time, for our great God from all eternity knew each of His people. His love has existed in His mind forever in the past, and it will exist in His mind forever into the future. What this means is that when it comes to God's love, when it comes to God's preserving grace, He has intentionally and specifically and de- He has intentionally and specifically loved and determined to preserve you, Christian since eternity past, and He will continue to love you forever. Into eternity, future time itself cannot interfere with God's love for you, and neither can what happens in time stand in the way of His love. There is nothing today, there is nothing in the past, there is nothing in the future that will separate you from Christ's love. Finally. The last thing Paul uses to illustrate the unstoppable love of God is space. His words, nor height nor depth, refer to the space around us. It is sure that nothing occupying space, and nothing occupying space or time, can come between you and the love of God. As we look back over these verses... We look at what Paul has spoken about. We see that Paul has covered everything in what we call the space-time continuum. The four dimensions of length, width, height, and time. Nothing in this space-time continuum can pose a serious threat to a believer's security in Christ Therefore, if you've had any doubt up to this point about the sureness of Christ's love, the sureness of his persevering grace, this certainly must put this to rest. There is nothing around you, nothing high into the heavens or into the depths of the sea. There is nothing in the entire universe, nothing in creation, nothing that we can think of, invent, or imagine There is nothing in the physical realm, nothing in the spiritual realm that will keep you, dear believer, from the love of Christ. Spiritual powers, nor the space they inhabit, can thwart the love of Christ for you. This is amazing news. This is good news. But often, isn't it the struggle of faith? Isn't our struggle to actually believe this? To actually believe what God tells us in his word? We often have hard thoughts of God. We find it difficult to actually believe this. We look at ourselves and rightfully mourn over our sins and repent. We believe God, then He tells us we're awful sinners, but do we believe Him when He tells us this good news? Are we trying to make ourselves acceptable to God? Because that will never happen. You'll never come to a point where this good news is acceptable because of your works. But this is the good news that the Lord brings to His people, people that are still struggling with sin. This is the good news that He's bringing to you tonight. We think that in order for this level of love to be true for us, we somehow have to improve ourselves. We somehow have to make ourselves more acceptable to the Lord. Then He will love us like this. Yes, the Lord does sanctify believers. A necessary part of grace that happens in our lives. But our sanctification does not merit anything with Him. It is a blessing to be sanctified. A blessing to walk in the ways of the Lord. God doesn't operate how we would operate. When He converts someone, He doesn't say, here are some of my promises and and here's a little bit of my love. Rather, the Lord opens his arms and he says, Here is everything. It is all yours. All of these promises are for you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Your sins are forgiven. You are my son. You are my daughter. I have adopted you and will always perfectly love you and care for you. It's going to take us an eternity. To see the depth of God's love for us. Some of you Christians have great difficulty believing that the Lord actually loves you this much. You're afraid that perhaps you're deceiving yourself. And there's no way the Lord actually feels this way about you. And I can't argue with your thoughts of yourself. I can't argue with you when you say you're so sinful, when you say you don't deserve this, because you're right. That's true. You are so sinful. You do not deserve this. But I will argue with the gospel. I will argue with God's word that if you have turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, if He has worked in your heart, all these promises and all the benefits of salvation are yours. Others of you think that resting in God's love can lead to a careless life. You think that it's too presumptuous to take God at His word. And to do so is easy believism. And that ultimately, this leads to nominal Christianity. And though we must guard against these things, you think that if someone is convinced that their salvation is secure, if they believe that God really loves them with an infinite love, you think that this will lead to a type of antinomianism. However, the amazing thing about God's love, the amazing thing about it is that it never promotes sin. The realization of this amazing love in a sinner's heart should only promote adoration of God and true godliness. And this is the most effective stimulation for sanctification in a believer's life. God's love itself, when you begin to realize the magnitude of God's love in your heart. When you begin to, and its power works in your your heart, you can't help but be enamored with your Savior. And desire to live your life for this God who loves you so much and who greatly uh, preserves you. Your greatest desire in your life is to give your life as a living sacrifice to Him because he gave his life for you. Perhaps, or some of you here may be hearing of this God of love. This God of persevering love for the first time. This God who loves his people in such a magnificent and amazing way, I tell you, really is Real. Ask any believer here. He really does love and care for his sheep more than we can imagine. Generations of Christians here, generations of Christians around the world and throughout history testify to the reality that such a God exists. And today, this God has shown himself to you. And he's calling you to turn to him. He's calling you to believe what he says about himself. He's calling you to repent and believe the gospel. Others of you here have heard of this love for years. You've heard about the persevering love of God. And this God has daily come to you and brought you the amazing news of his love. You've continually heard this amazing news. But your actions and your life show that you consider it to be a lie. So far, you've had no need for this God. You've no need for the gospel. No need for His love. No need for His Son. I urge you this evening... Do not continue to spurn this God. Do not continue to call Him a liar. But turn. Repent. And believe the gospel. Finally, dear believer, think of all that your triune God has done for you. The Father elected you in eternity past. He planned your salvation, sovereignly ruling over the events and circumstances of history so that the Son could condescend to your level and come into this sinful world. He lived a perfect life for you. He resisted the temptations of Satan for you. He suffered for you. He died an awful death on the cross for you. He was forsaken of the Father for you. He rose from the dead and ascended into heaven to rule, to prepare a place for you. He sent His Spirit to you who came and dwells within you, who's now shaping you and molding you and preparing you for glory. He has done all these things with you in mind. He will never let you go. And soon, very soon, He will bring you to be with Him. Amen. Our faithful Lord in heaven, Lord, we are in awe of who You are. We thank Thee, Lord, for Thy goodness and Thy mercy. We thank Thee, Lord, for salvation through Thy Son. And dear Lord, we pray that all of us here would see Thy goodness, Thy persevering grace. That we would look forward to the day when we will be with Thee, when we will no longer sin, when we will see Thee face to face. So Lord, help Thy saints to be encouraged with Thy message. Help us to find our only hope in Thee our great God, and we pray these things all in Jesus' name, amen.